0: This is the Scott Thompson Show Podcast. So there's some weird stories going on here, and and this always happens prior to the games. You know, there's always... But usually it's around games being ready. Um, Is there going to be any snow? And by the way, did you see any snow? Oh, hang on a sec. Hello? Hey, 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 hello, number please. Is this the... So uh and there's there's always this leading up to the games, but mostly you know it's usually about our venue is going to be ready, is this going to be done? Apparently, these people were ready like ten years ago uh, so so that's not an issue, although I, I find it interesting it's freezing there, but there's no snow, but I guess we don't need snow because we can make that. Collingwood's proof of that, not that they're making any this year so uh at the end of the day, there's all these sub stories that come up prior to the Olympics uh and and the pre-story to this Olympics has been North and South Korea, and unifying um, in order to, uh, to to get through the games, I, I guess. Let's bring in Simon Palomar, research assistant, Center for International Governance Innovation. Uh, he is with us now. Simon, are you there? Ah, uh, yes, sir. Thank you for taking the time to join uh, join us, Simon. We always appreciate this. Uh, as we get up to the Olympics and open, opening ceremonies and such. What are you expecting from the whole North-South Korean issue? Will this all go as per planned, and everybody will enjoy themselves, and then everybody goes home? How do you see the next uh, couple of weeks unfolding?
1: Yeah, Scott, that's a great question, because when we're looking at who the, the North Korean government is sending as part of their political delegation to South Korea, I mean, it suggests that... The North Koreans are taking this opportunity to to uh, you know talk with South Korea and you know maybe you know improve relations with Seoul um, quite seriously. Um, Kim Jong Un's younger sister um, is going to be you know she's not the official head of the delegation, but she's believed to be very close to. Uh, to Kim and uh, an advisor to Moon Jae-in, that she's she'll be attending, um, and that's a, you know some of the speculation there is that that's a way for um, Kim Jong to send you know um, a personal message to to South Korean uh, President uh, Moon Jae-in. It's it's a way for him to communicate fairly directly with them, and all this has analysts thinking that the North Koreans are taking this seriously. They don't want to see things go you know pear shaped. They don't want to see this diplomatic track get derailed and while they're doing this you know u.s vice president mike pence who was in uh, tokyo earlier this week and is either on his way or should be in seoul by now is trying to remind south koreans that this is a dangerous unstable vicious regime that should not be trusted so you know i think uh the North Korean and South Korean governments are going to do what they can to keep everything on an even keel. But that doesn't mean that everybody else uh, is happy about it. So what is
0: the message that Kim Jong-un is sending, and why why send his sister?
1: You know, it, it's, a, it's an interesting question. I mean, as far as anybody knows, there's never been an, well, there's never been an official Visit by any of the Kim family to South Korea, you know whether or not there have been some, you know perhaps you know quiet meetings during times of crisis. You know that's been that's been you know kind of hypothesized a bit, but there's never been an official you know um, visit by one of the Kims until now. So the time's probably not right for, you know, Kim Jong-un to visit South Korea, and that would probably be too politically controversial anyways. It would divide, you know, South Koreans who, you know, as I have explained before, have varying attitudes about how to work with North Korea or how to engage North Korea. It would also enrage enrage the Americans, the Japanese, etc. So you wouldn't see that. So the fact that a member of the, the you know the ruling dynasty is visiting. I mean it suggests that the North Koreans, like I said, are taking it seriously and you know, what the message might be, you know, that's anyone's guess, but it's probably, you know, something along the lines of what we've been hearing publicly so far from the North Koreans that they well, want no, to go ahead reduce the impression that they're aiming their nuclear weapons at South Korea. In right. fact, they're aiming them at the United States. Right, exactly. Uh,
0: and, and obviously, uh, North Korea is using this as, or, or, or keeping the momentum moving forward uh, by sending the sister there a, as a sense of goodwill. But my thought is, what happens when people like Vice President Pence arrive, uh, and he's bringing the father uh, whose son was killed in, in North Korea after being incarcerated there, and then came home, of course, and succumbed to his injuries. What's that going to be like? How is that going to be staged?
1: Yeah, that's correct. He's bringing, uh, I believe it's Otto Warmbier's father. Um, Donald Trump met with some North Korean defectors the other day in the White House. Uh, There seems to be a push, at least, not from the Pentagon or the State Department, but explicitly from the White House, to, you know, um, put it bluntly, keep on reminding South Koreans that this is a, a, a nasty regime that does not have their best interests at heart and if you look at you know the look at the more conservative South Korean uh, newspapers and media this is a message they're echoing that uh, you know that South Koreans need to remember who their friends are in the world who stood been through all these years and that uh, we shouldn't be you know you know blindsided by uh, North Korea's charm offensive hmm. you know whether or not you know the White House is explicitly trying to derail things at the Olympics, make sure that it does not go smoothly. I don't think that's the plan. But what they need to do is, uh, I think, from their perspective, is keep pressure on South Korean President Moon, make sure that he doesn't get too far out ahead of American policy.
0: Are the Olympics are the Olympics safer with uh, Kim Jong Un's sister there?
1: I, I think certainly. I, I think that this whole you know charm offensive by North Korea even if it doesn't lead to anything positive in the long run, in the short run, it it, it is a good thing because the North Koreans have invested too much in putting on a good face, in de-escalating tensions. They want to be at the the Olympics. I mean, the South Koreans, of course, want them there. They want want to be there as well because I think they do think they can drive a wedge between South Korea and its allies. So they have too much running on this to... To do something foolish to test a a, a a bomb or test a missile, unless it looks like you know American efforts to you know throw some cold water on the party are going to be successful, And it changes. But right now, I think it does make it uh, a more stable situation at least for a couple
0: of days. So, uh, when in South Korea, who will Pence meet up with? Who will Kim Jong Un's sister meet up with?
1: Yeah, good question. I mean, there's uh, as always the Olympics are you know, a great opportunity to get some, you know, government work done on the side. There are a lot of heads of state and heads of government visiting anyways. Um, You know, Vice President Pence is scheduled to meet with uh, President Moon, if he has not met with him already. Um, Japanese Prime Minister Shinto Abe will be there. The President of Germany will be there. Um, Some high-ranking members of the Chinese Politburo will be in Seoul. And I can imagine they will all, you know, meet with uh, Vice President Pence. Pence has ruled out essentially meeting with North Korea unless North Korea approaches them. We also have heard that Kim Yo-jung, Kim's sister, may in fact get a meeting with uh, President Moon. And uh, whether or not the North Mm. Koreans will meet with other delegations, harder to much harder to call i wouldn't count on it right now they really are there to see the south koreans and uh, the the talk is that she probably will get some kind of meeting if not with president moon then at least with uh somebody on his staff to what relay will any messages
0: what does that mean what will that what will that entail i mean because because if, if that's not goodwill what is
1: you no, know, it's it, it's a it's a crucial question. I mean, part of it will depend on what the, the substance of the message is. Right. You know, if it's more of the same old, same old from North Korea, that you know, we're not aiming this at uh, at Seoul. We're not we're not hostile to South Korea, but we still want you to, for example, stop military exercises of the United States, for example. Then I don't think it will have much effect. the The South Koreans have heard that message publicly you know, and if it's another variation on that, it may not have much effect. If the North Koreans offer, you know, something unexpected, uh, a major concession, that could set off, you know, uh, domestic politics in South Korea, where you would certainly then see a a serious debate about, you know, how much they can trust the North Korean regime, how far uh, ahead of the United States do they want to get, and that could cause some some headaches for the South Korean president.
0: So a ship of uh, North Korean uh, contingent entertainers, what have you, arrive uh, in South Korea, Uh, people in South Korea up in arms, there's demonstrations, I understand that didn't make it on Korean television, it certainly did here. Uh, and now we hear that they need fuel to get back home. They are out, they're out of gas. W- what's the story there? Is that true and 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 they and South Korea says we have to we have to consult with the United States whether we can fill you up.
1: Yeah, whether it's true, I mean that's uh, I, I'm not in a position or maybe to the whole that. thing's just filled with tanker
0: and it's you know they're gonna take some back. It's like going across the border to shop
1: uh, yeah, what's really important to remember here is that um, sanctions have gotten quite tough and now North Korea is essentially um, forced to ration fuel the United Nations Security Council hasn't prohibited all um, exports of oil gas uh, petroleum products to North Korea but they have reduced the amount that uh, member nations are allowed to uh, allowed to export um, so if those sanctions are working the the story that, in fact, we don't have enough fuel oil to get our ferry back to uh, back to North Korea. It sounds a bit absurd, but you know there could be an element of truth to it. Um, one of the more interesting things is that, according to sanctions, South Korea may literally need to get a waiver from the United Nations in order to, to fuel up this uh, this this ferry. So it's it's an interesting situation. It's it, it's hard to tell how much of it is you know North Korea uh, t- showing the world what they expect to see, how much of it is, is true. But well, it doesn't uh,
0: really make them look good, does it? I mean, hey, no. uh, I mean, you know, I mean what, what, there's nothing positive coming out of this for them, it, is it?
1: It doesn't make them look good, but it, but it can also, it's also a way for them to maybe hint, oh yes, the sanctions are working, We're, we're, oh, we're really hurting yeah. even if they aren't. I mean, you never want to, these sorts of situations, there's always a, a story that can be spun, and you always want to be careful about you know which one you, you, you take, hook, line, and sinker.
0: Uh, we've only got uh, about half a minute left here. Do the majority of South Koreans approve of this, or do they disapprove, or does it depend who you ask?
1: You know, it's a good question. I haven't seen any really good, consistent, you know, polling yet. But as I was talking about before, if you you know read read South Korean media, watch a bit of you know English language South Korean TV, you get the impression that this is really kind of breaking down typical. You know the typical kind of liberal conservative lines that there's long been a you know a, a liberal streak in south korean politics that says look confronting north korea you know it's prevented war but it's done nothing to get rid of the regime improve the human rights situation there so we do need to try out other policies with them
2: then on the other hand you
1: know the, the conservative wing of, of south korean politics says look you, you can't trust this government you know maybe You know, the confrontation hasn't uh, caused the regime to collapse, but preventing war is useful. And remember, this is a country that, you know, does occasionally shoot across the border, kill South Korean soldiers. It's not a nice government, and we have to be careful. And that's really, I swear, it looks like things are breaking down typically along those lines. Simon Palomar
0: has been with us, Research Assistant, Center for International Governance Innovation. Simon, as always, thanks for the time. Much
1: appreciated. My pleasure, Scott.
0: You're listening to The Scott Thompson
1: Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.
0: The U.S. president uh, wanting to see a military parade happen, grander than the one in France. Uh, Defense uh, defense officials say that they're looking into the options. Is that a good idea? Uh, Why haven't they had one in the past? Michael Tobe is with us, Troy Media syndicated columnist and contributor to the Washington Times. He is with us now. Thank you, Michael, for taking the time to join us. As always, we uh, we appreciate this greatly. Happy to
3: do so, Scott.
0: Before we go anywhere here, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau down in the United States right now, uh, part of the NAFTA team promoting uh, Canada and such and, and, and trying to help as best he can. Uh, talk a little bit about the people-kind comment before we get going. How does that change the tone? Does it? Does anybody care? Does it tell us anything about our Prime Minister?
3: God, must I talk about it? Okay, no. <laughs> Fair enough. Then we'll get it out of the way. Sure, what the heck. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the comment was completely silly. I know that obviously there's been a bit of a debate as to whether he was being serious. We know that yesterday he apologized and claimed it was kind of stupid the whole thing, I'm paraphrasing a touch, that it was all just a big joke. But, you know, the only thing was the reason that he reacted the way that he did. And certainly it may have been a lousy joke because Justin Trudeau has made his fair share of them before he became prime minister and since he's become, since he's been prime minister and we all know that He only started to really go after it or to apologize or walk it back when he received blowback internationally from it as well. I mean, domestically, there were a lot of newspapers and TV and radio stations, including, I'm sure, yours and other organizations going after him. But internationally... He started to get kind of blasted away by everything from the Wall Street Journal, uh, the Washington Post, the BBC. He was included sometimes on, I mean, even, even if you can believe this, InfoWars included him. I mean, there was an enormous amount of attacks on him. And it was simply because, you know, they are looking at Justin Trudeau. They look at some of these jokes that he's made in the past about China, or Russia, and now we can include people kind in the whole grand scheme of things. And he just doesn't look like a serious leader. And as well, more and more people are coming to the conclusion, which, you know, quite frankly, and Egotist, I and many others have been saying for years that this is just a fairly vapid individual. He is not a policy wonk. He doesn't really focus a lot of time and energy on understanding the machinations of how certain things work. I'm not saying he's a blithering idiot, not by any means, but he just doesn't have the strength of character, including people like my old friend and boss, Stephen Harper, and even his father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, in terms of understanding how to work public relations, communications, economics, and various other things that makes you a successful prime minister and would make anybody a successful national leader. And now what's starting to happen is other countries around the world who looked at Justin Trudeau for a period of time as a champion of progressivism or just simply a champion of modern liberal causes are starting to realize that the person they wanted to be is the spokesperson really isn't the best choice for the job at all. And I think more and more people, Scott, are now starting to come to that conclusion. And while it won't necessarily mean that Justin Trudeau will lose, say, in the 2019 federal election, it's going to make the task of him being re-elected much, much harder.
0: Uh, overstepping his boundary by telling us how to speak, it's sort of the father figure thing. And, and, and again, whether he's right or, it's ro- or he's wrong, I think what I'm questioning is, why is this a priority? Why is this worth, worth embarrassing someone in front of their peers
3: I don't know and although I mean when you look at the video clip that the woman he was chastising or the young girl that he was chastising wasn't terribly offended by it At the same time, one, she's in a public forum, there's only so much you can do. Mm. And two, there's only so many ways you can react when your national leader is tut-tutting you in public. You know, it's not something that people necessarily want to hear, whether they love Justin Trudeau or whether they hate him. They expect to come to those town hall meetings to ask serious questions, to ask things that are on their mind, and they expect answers coming back from Justin Trudeau, our prime minister, that are at least... You know, maybe if you don't agree with them, that's one thing, but at least sound sensible and sound like they're coming from a leader. When he's basically interrupting someone for using the term mankind and says, oh, no, no, we use people kind, even if it was a dumb joke, and I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt that it probably was, because as I said before, his track record that way is so bad, I don't think it really does him any good to sort of have this kind of uppity elitist type of mentality that he knows better than everybody else. Even if that's not what he's been trying to do or intending to do on a day to day basis, it's coming out that way. And today in politics, images everything. And in a very visual society like the one we live in right now, Justin Trudeau better start to learn the hurry that this sort of attitude and this sort of way of basically acting. Uh, very, very much in a very juvenile manner, as mu- some people are saying, or in a professorial ma- manner that he really doesn't deserve or hasn't earned in society, it's not going to benefit him at all. If his, anything, he's just going to lose supporters.
0: His appearance in the U.S. Uh, at Chicago last night, uh, giving a speech and such, um, how much does this help talks? Obviously, to... obviously he knows how to play Trump. Oh sure, he you
3: knows how to play Trump. I agree with you. Um, it's hard to say. Uh, I, I mean, certainly because of the problems that we're having with NAFTA, and based on the fact that it's the whole agreement is still sort of hanging on a thread, even though we're hearing from time to time that some progress is made, but then every two steps forward seem to lead to three steps back, yeah. and I don't quite understand why this is continually happening. I think that Justin Trudeau is obviously doing the right thing in going to the United States. You know, if you want to keep NAFTA and you want to preserve it, you have to look serious. So it's important for the national leader to go out there and try to preserve a deal that has been in place since 1994 in our country. And even longer, if you include CAFTA, which is the original Canada-U.S. free trade agreement, we're talking about 30-plus years of free trade agreements between Canada, the US and others, that being Mexico, that are are of very huge importance economically and politically to North America in general. So if they want to preserve it and they want to protect it, and I think that ultimately in the end Justin Trudeau and the Liberals do want to keep free trade and they would like to protect NAFTA, maybe not at all costs, but at least as best as they possibly can, then yes, he does go have to go out there especially if NAFTA does eventually collapse, and Canada and the U.S. have to sort of patch up and create a new side arrangement or rebuild CAFTA, for example, after the fact. Because although we know that Canada and the U.S. Will, main, will maintain a free trade relationship of some sort, it probably won't be the same when, if NAFTA collapses. And we have to ensure that our interests are protected at all costs. So, yeah, I don't have any issue with Justin Trudeau going to Chicago and speaking to Americans. I just hope that it works. And unfortunately, right now, I don't think his influence, quote-unquote, is going to have that much of an effect.
0: All right, let's talk about another very pressing political problem, a parade. Yeah. Uh, what? Is uh, it? <laughs> is, is, is this going to happen? Uh, the military parade, I guess he enjoyed his time in France. Yes. Uh, and, th- and thought, we'd, li- we'd like to have one of these here. Uh, a little backstory here, and, and how do you think this is going to play?
3: Yeah, sure. Well, you know, it's interesting. I wrote about this last year um, in a freelance. I remember piece. that, yeah. Yeah, for the Wall Street Journal, but I talked about how Canada and the U.S. could share in the military parade, and we could have a North American military parade to coincide with... um Independence Day. You're
0: Um, you're into this. You're you're supporting of this. Oh, I am. I do support.
3: Uh, But I support it as a form of nationalism and patriotism, more on the patriotic side. But there are ways that it can actually be used in a beneficial manner. Now, look, to be fair, Scott, not to get too wordy, some of Trump's critics are obviously stating, well, the reason he's infatuated by these sorts of parades, especially a military parade, is because he actually... Somehow, quote unquote, admires totalitarian regimes. Because you do see these sorts of parades obviously in full display in places like North Korea or the old Soviet Union, etc. And that's how people have created a negative association with military parades. However, France, especially on Bastille Day, have always had these sorts of national parades where it brings a lot of people out, you know, as I, as I said before, for pride, patriotism, etc., and people actually enjoy the festivities of the day. It's not about military might. It's to sort of enjoy the freedoms that we have in our society. That's how the French have always looked at it, and I don't think they've been wrong that way. I think Donald Trump, who was probably aware of the fact that there were different parades, but... Didn't know the difference between countries or why they held them. He went to France last year. He was extremely impressed by what he saw. And he thought to himself, well, why can't the United States do the same thing? And if it's built as a positive aspect rather than a negative aspect, because if all we're going to look about is war and the military and things and always treat them in a negative light, then naturally we're never going to be pleased with it. A parade can actually have and play a great role and a beneficial role to a democratic society. There is nothing wrong with it. It's just a question of what he wants to do, that being Donald Trump, how much money he wants to spend, and what he wants to include in the parade. And those things are still left up the question.
0: Uh, I don't think many would have a problem with the parade. I think it's the march of military hardware that they have a problem with. And why hasn't America done this in the past?
3: Well, you know, it's interesting. Parades have been discussed in the past. I don't know how seriously... They've been talked about by US presidents, but I've never certainly, based on my readings of autobiographies and biographies of past presidents. Many of them have talked about the benefit of, say, France and Bastille Day and others, about how a parade can bring people together and a country together. But it was never seen as an important issue, simply because, one, there were other things to deal with in the world, and there still are. And two, I guess a lot of people didn't put that much stock or importance in it. As to why the United States has not done it before, that's a good question. I think Could it be forward. because
0: we're not used to seeing military hardware rolling down our streets? I mean, we Probably. haven't been exposed to that. It's not like Europe where we've witnessed war. No, no,
3: that's possibly true. Well, I mean, although obviously the U.S. has experienced war yes. in many different ways. Yep. I mean, we have World War One and Two, the Vietnam War, Korea.
0: No, but certainly not on our soil.
3: Is the no, not making. on our soil. Well, certainly not on Canadian soil anyways. But yes, I agree with you. But on the other hand, again, it depends how you do it. If you're just simply focused on the fact, as you say, that weapons, arm, you know, armed tanks, artillery, etc., are going to be rolling down the streets, and this presents a bad feeling about what's, say, and let's use the United States as an example, about what it says about the country, the leadership, and so forth, well then, yeah, you're right. You're always, if you can always throw darts at any idea and say that it's awful...
0: Well, again, I think I don't think this is an issue about a parade, Michael. I think this is an issue about a parade. And again, as you as you've stated, people are just seeing Russia and North Korea and the big missiles rolling down the streets, and everybody's standing there and waving because right. they have
1: to.
3: But it doesn't. Okay, but it doesn't have to be. I understand that, but it doesn't have to be like
0: that. So it's and sort I, of like uh, I don't know a Macy's Day Parade, except there's rockets. Well, let, let's not go that far. But I mean,
3: again, it depends how you do it. I haven't seen a schematic as of yet as to what Donald Trump wants. My guess is he probably doesn't have a design in mind. He, maybe he wants to tr- structure it exactly the way the French do it. Maybe he has a different issue in mind. Maybe his strategist and some of the people in the White House are working on something. I don't know. Again, I think that you can balance it off nicely. Of course with a parade like that, there are gonna be there's gonna be military hardware there, absolutely. But it's not being used on anyone, it's not being fired off. It's talking about how important it is to have a military, for example. The United States military is an important component of the way that country operates. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there is anything wrong with showing it off with pride. There really isn't. Well they do
0: that at flyovers at sporting events and such. I mean- I mean, it's yes, the same sort yeah, of thing.
3: Absolutely, and I think that's perfectly fine. And there are smaller parades that are done as well that kind of fit that bill. I don't think, again, that there's anything wrong with having a national parade on that level marching through the streets of Washington. You don't have to bring out every piece of military hardware, I completely grant you, to actually have impact in this sort of a parade. But I think that if you're able to do it where you kind of balance it off, where you have Maybe a display of the military, but you also have marching bands. You have different acts. You have different people coming through. Schools march along with that.
0: Maybe an Elon Musk rocket. (laughs)
3: Well, maybe. I mean, SpaceX certainly has a few that they could add to it. But look, all kidding aside, I know what the concerns are from people, and they're also looking at Donald Trump and saying, can a Trump presidency handle something like that appropriately as compared to, say, presidents in the past who, yes, might have done the same thing, but would have had a little bit more tact and grace with it. I concur that we don't know what Donald Trump knows wants to do exactly with this type of parade. But I think that the concept overall, including the military component, can be very beneficial in a democratic society, and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. The positives far outweigh the negatives to me. Ergo, I think it's something that the United States should at least explore, if nothing else, and if they find the right balance or the right formula, the magic formula, so to speak, to have both the military hardware and other events side by side. I think that eventually, as it happens with other things in life, people will become used to it. It'll become an annual event. You'll be able to go out there. There'll be a celebration. Maybe it'll be a holiday. I have no idea what he's planning, but I think there are ways to make it a very strong, patriotic, and pleasurable event. I wrote about it very briefly in the Wall Street Journal, and I hope others do,
0: too. Uh do you think good parade wrong president and by that I mean you know this the way this guy has handled uh, chats with Kim Jong Un back and forth uh in the media and such and comparing the size of this and the size of that how how does he pull this off without people thinking you know this is just you wanking off against the you know Kim Jong Un and, and whatever whatever you know parade he's got you got to top it oh, yeah it's
3: such a delicate way of putting things um <laughs> Wank off, really? Uh yeah, I, I look, all kidding aside, Scott, and I like you as a person as you know, I understand exactly where you're going with this. And of course there are people who are going to be concerned that it's Donald Trump proposing it versus, say, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, or anybody else in the past. Exactly. I get, I get that part of it. But remember, and and maybe I'm being a little naive, I hope I'm not, but this is going to be a legacy project. This is not the Trump parade. This will be a United States parade. This is something. Oh, oh that
0: I don't know about that, Michael.
3: Well, no, no. I well, no, no. I'm thinking that Trump is hoping that if people, if it resonates with people and it resonates with the American public, this is something that will go past his presidency. And look, I don't know if it will. It depends who replaces him. If you get an uber leftist like Elizabeth Warren, say replacing Donald Trump in four to eight years, yes, I agree with you. It's not going to happen. But if you get another shall we say, moderately conservative Republican in place, who sort of thinks that, yeah, I like the model, but I think we can do it a little bit differently and maybe more tactfully. You may see something like this survive for a long period of time. And, it, and people may look back on it one day and say that, yeah, it was Donald Trump who came up with it, but we were able to tinker with it and make it better. And sometimes that's not a bad thing in itself.
0: Do you think this is a trial balloon? He's floating
3: it up, or do you think this will happen? You know what? I thought last year it might be a trial balloon. The fact that he's bringing it back up again this year leads me to believe that he's probably more serious about it. And sure, some of his advisors may speak to him in private and try to sway his opinion or try to at least tell him, why don't we put this off for a little bit until we can figure out all the various points from A to Z and how this would work, how we could successfully do it, and how we could maintain a level of enthusiasm from the American public that we can feed off of in our re election campaign in twenty twenty. That may potentially happen. On the other hand, Donald Trump often seems to get what he wants, and if he really wants this, and I think he does, he may push for it very hard. Here's the one big thing, and this is something that'll definitely be discussed in Congress, and I mentioned it briefly. What is the cost going to be? How much will this cost exactly. the United States to run? Yeah. You know, yes, he can go to France Ask them for a list by list uh comparison in terms of the past years of how much it's cost them, which will be done in Euros or in francs if he goes way, way back, and then tries to sort of establish a baseline with American dollars. But if it gets too too expensive, that will turn off a lot of people, including the Republican Party's freedom caucus, who hate spending taxpayer dollars because that's who's gonna be paying for it, and they may rebel against him. So really the trick for Trump is if he is really serious about this, and I think he is, he has to bounce off the fiscal cost of running a parade versus nationalism and patriotic pride versus his own self-interest. And if he can find a happy medium between those three, it might work out.
0: Michael Tobisman with us, Troy Media, syndicated columnist and contributor to The Washington Times. Michael, as always, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Oh, my pleasure, Scott. Take good care. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. It's a pleasure to welcome Doug Ford, candidate for the Ontario PC leadership race. He is with us now. Doug, thanks for coming in. We appreciate oh, oh,
2: this. Thanks for having me here, Scott.
0: So, uh, you know, it, it's great to have you in this race. As I said to you off air, you know, those in my business absolutely love this because you've turned this into a show. Uh, have you talked to the members of the PC party? Uh, are they happy that you're in the, in the race or are they giving you the cold shoulder? What, what's the feedback from head office?
2: Well, I guess the elites downtown and uh, the head office they, in the establishment, they, they don't want Doug Ford there because I'm going to go in there and, and clean the place up. Uh, as the party members across the province, I've heard nothing but uh, positive comments, a lot of encouragement, and they're excited to get a, a fresh face in there, a new voice and someone with a backbone that's going to go in there and save the taxpayers money. Why don't they want you there? I mean, because that,
0: you know, I, I've listened to you on our sister station, 640, and, and, and we, were, we were saying that, mm-hmm. you know, you just kept talking about the, the taxpayer and what about mm-hmm. the taxpayer and how does that affect the tax the, the taxpayer? How could, how could the PC party or any party not want that message or you in that
2: race? Well, they're just worried, I'm going to shake things up. I'm going to clean that place up from top to bottom. Uh, Queen's Park is uh, politically corrupt, as I've been saying over and over again. They need someone with a backbone, someone that has a proven track record of actually governing. There's no one else running against me that has a proven track record of governing. We save the the people of of Toronto over a billion dollars. And, uh, Scott, that's the fifth largest uh, budget in the country, the city of Toronto. And what we say we're going to do, we're going to do. A lot of politicians, uh, talk a good story. They get in there and they do something else. So I'm the only one with a proven track record that's running, that's going to respect the taxpayers, put money back in their pocket instead of the government's pocket. Talk about the
0: condition of the PC party. Obviously, uh, there's a lot of people in in the last couple of elections, it looked like it was the PCs to lose, and that's what Mm -hmm. happened, in fact. And then, obviously, a few weeks ago, we had the situation with the allegations against Patrick Brown. What are your thoughts on uh the condition the stability of this party now and what happened with patrick brown i know there's you know we don't want to get into inside politics here but but what are your thoughts of, of what has
2: transpired well i think it's been public uh, there's there's no secret there's been uh, a lot of controversial uh nominations out there one being in hamilton here mm-hmm. uh, in ottawa right across the province we need someone to come in and unite the party there's a lot of frustrated uh, party members on what's taken place uh, over the last year with the nominations, disgruntled members, I'll unite the party, and we're going to move forward and take on Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals.
0: Many are concerned that you can't unite the party, Mm -hmm. that you are divisive, that you can be a distraction. Some have even said, like, you know, a lot when comparing you, will use Donald Trump in the same phrase, you know, as a fear-mongering or scare tactic. Are you worried that that this takes uh, the attention uh, away from... The fact that at the end your party's is trying to beat win.
2: Well, you know something. Number number one, I don't give two hoots about Donald Trump. God bless him. Let him deal with uh, his issue down in the United States. I am focused on Ontario. I'm focused on creating jobs, and this this province. Once we get into office, we are gonna uh, have a, a prosperous. Co- uh, province we're gonna make sure that we bring jobs into the province and uh, we're gonna get rid of all the regulations we're gonna make sure that we get rid of the carbon tax that's a job killer you know a carbon tax is a bad tax for the businesses here in Ontario they are a bad tax for the people of Ontario it doesn't make us competitive whatsoever uh, out there competing against uh, US companies or other companies around the world and uh, we're going to be open for business.
0: You were saying on 640, we're going to tweak it. Are you, are you convinced now that's it? You're going to junk it? You're going to you're going to get rid of it? Because well, the party platform has, you know, under the old uh, leader, said mm-hmm. that this was going to be a go. How, how does that jive with the party platform? Well,
2: I'm not too sure how the carbon tax, is in. I respect all the members. I respect uh, the policies that they put forward. Uh, but I can't figure out why 90% of our party is dead against the carbon tax. And somehow it got into the policy. Mm. But uh, we are going to tweak it. And we're going to do the right thing for the, the taxpayers of this province. They, the Scott, they, they're so frustrated out there right now. They're being gouged at all levels, no matter if it's a federal, municipal, or provincial government. All, the, all you hear from these governments is we're going to raise taxes. We're going to raise taxes. I'm going to cut taxes. I'm going to make sure that we have the most competitive region in North America. What about the
0: services there? You know, the opposition will say, if you're going to cut taxes, where's the money coming from? You're going to cut, cut, cut. That's always the way the Liberals, you know, target the Tories. Sure they do. Cut, cut, cut.
2: Well, I I can tell you, for example, when we're at the city of uh, Toronto, we saved over a billion dollars, increased services, made things more efficient. And I ask our listeners out there, and I'll ask you, Scott, Do you think in a $141 billion budget and the billions of dollars of scandals that are wasted, do you think we can find 2%? Hmm. Everyone says the same thing. You guys, uh, listeners, he has a big smile on his face.
0: And, <laughs> I have and, to and, ask the questions, well, Doug. I can't respond to
2: them. I understand, Scott. <laughs> but every every single person, 100% of the people have the big laugh on their face. And the, the next next comment is only 2%. Yeah. So 2% of $141 billion is close to $3 billion. We're going to find more efficiencies. We're going to hold every single ministry accountable. We're going to make sure that we leave no stone unturned and find every single a uh, penny for the taxpayers.
0: Uh, you talked about the carbon tax and uh, getting rid of that. Uh, there, there's a lot of Ontarians, and as a matter of fact, uh, the Liberals won many elections on selling the whole green thing, and you know this was the right thing to do. Uh, so Ontarians are obviously conscious about the environment. You're going to mm-hmm. scrap the carbon tax, or, or at least tweak it, we're not sure yet. Uh, that being said, uh, what are you going to do for the environment? What about the people who are concerned about
2: that? Well, first of all, I'm very environmentally... Uh, Uh, friendly. The carbon tax does nothing but go into a general fund. It's just a tax.
0: So what can you do? What are you guys going to do as far? If you're getting rid of the carbon tax, what can you do?
2: Well, we're our our whole system uh, has to be focused on making sure we're environmentally friendly. Mm -hmm. And I believe in corporations throughout this province. I visited uh, numerous corporations across this province. Everyone wants to be environmentally friendly. We're in the printing industry. They want to make sure even the, the labels and the packages are all biodegradable. So, uh, again, we have to rely on our businesses to be responsible. And I I think they'll be uh, very responsible. But we aren't just going to tax people and make them less competitive than the people south of the border. They don't have a carbon tax.
0: All right, some local questions from listeners. How does Mr. Ford feel about all-day-go service for Hamilton? Will he honour Hamilton's wishes for the LRT? Does Hamilton matter to Mr. Ford?
2: Uh, Hamilton matters a lot, and I, I give all the credit to my brother Rob. People love him up here. Uh, they're, they're hard-working people. They can't stand when you they see wasted uh, taxpayers' money going down the tube. And we have strong, strong support in Hamilton. We connect with Hamilton, uh, and I, I can't give you the exact reason, but uh, we connect with the people up in Hamilton and as for the the go train uh, yes there's gonna be service up here and obviously when they say all day let's look at the numbers but I'll make sure that Hamilton has a voice Hamilton hasn't had a voice for years they have been ignored and now they're gonna have have a voice I can assure you and I support all the frontline blue-collar workers out there that again they don't have a voice
0: uh, the last government and Patrick Brown said he would continue this if the, if it's what Hamilton wanted, and that's obviously what City Council has voted for. That's the direction we're moving in, and that was the billion dollars for uh, LRT for light rail transit. Are you behind the LRT here in Hamilton?
2: I am. I'm I'm uh, behind the LRT here in Hamilton. I'm dead against it in Toronto. Mm. Uh, Toronto is obviously three million pe- or close to three million people. Hamilton and already can already handle a subway system. Yeah, and Hamilton uh, needs an LRT.
0: Uh, Here's another question from a listener, I like the idea of uh, Doug Ford leading the province with uh, an open for business uh, policy, however, more importantly is defeating Kathleen Wynne and getting a majority. I think that Doug Ford will scare away some female voters, and I am leaning towards Elliot or Mulroney for leader. What is Doug Ford's plan to counter the female bias and maximize the number of seats the PCs can get?
2: I respectfully disagree with uh, that comment, scaring away female voters. Uh, I, I believe, uh, first of all, no matter if you're female or male, you're sick and tired of being taxed. You're sick and ti- <coughs> sorry, sick and tired of opening up your hydro bill and seeing it's half the cost of your mortgage. Hmm. No matter if you're male or female, I'm going to put money back into their pockets. Uh, my my opponents and the and the liberals, it's status quo. That's what it is. You're just going to have the insiders, the establishment, go back in there and do the same and the same and the same. So uh, I think I have tremendous support uh, with a female vote, and uh, I just want to note I right, I have a household of five females, so believe me, I know I know every issue <laughs> about every female. Man- you so. know how to manage it then? Absolutely.
0: Um, uh, let's talk about hydro. This has been a huge bone of contention. Electricity, the electricity file for Ontarians. Uh, I don't have to replay everything that's done. All you have to do is open up your bill every month to see what's happened, and then of course now it's being punted back, or punted down to the to the next generation. What can you do about this? I mean, um, are these things set in stone? Can you go in and well, change them? The what yeah. do you do, Scott? What?
2: That that that's that's the thing. And I learned uh, again in the city of Toronto when we first went in there, they said, "Surprise! We have 774 million dollars of pressure going into this uh, year." I Meaning they spent 774 million dollars more than they did the than the income that they they had. And uh, you never know until you get in there. I'm going to review that. I'm going to look at the sole source deals that uh, the liberal governments did with Samsung. And I can assure you, the sole source deals are gonna come to a, screech, a screeching halt. There's no more backroom deals, no more feathering the nest of their buddies. That's coming to an end. And we'll review the deals that they, they made with uh, with the people they signed up
0: how are you going to deal with, and are you concerned that whoever does get in, whether it's electricity or, or anything else, that you are going to see a balance sheet that just doesn't jive with what's been with, with what's been said? How do you well Will, we're, will, will we're, you be the sort uh, of person, the politician, that comes out after and said, "Hey, this is way worse than I thought it was. We can't do half of what I thought."
2: Well, you, usually it is because the the government and, and power, uh, I am I'm sure they haven't been that accurate on the on the figures. So we're prepared. Again, we're the only. I am the only person. That has experience walking into that situation Uh, my opponents don't don't have that experience I as I just mentioned I just walked in the city of Toronto fifth largest largest budget in in Canada and they said surprise 774 million dollars not only did we balance the books the first year we saved the taxpayers a billion dollars and we delivered a zero percent tax increase everyone said it couldn't be done we ended up doing it we had the lowest tax rate in any large city in North America
0: I also have to ask you about health care. It seems that there's an ongoing uh, uh, conflict uh, between nurses, doctors, and the government of Ontario. Mm -hmm. Uh, They say they're working with limited budgets, they need more money. Uh, The other side says they're spending too much, there's inefficiencies. How do you, especially with the baby boomer population making its way through and the stress on the system this is an ugly file how do you how do you get a handle on this
2: well Scott I, I experienced it uh, firsthand how hard our nurses and our, our doctors are working I call it hallway health care and uh, hallway healthcare is we walked in there with my mom uh, last week she had a little slip-up had her on a stretcher she was lined up like the cars on the 401 in rush hour traffic it wasn't the doctor's fault it wasn't the nurses fault they couldn't keep up with the capacity I bet I have a message for all the great doctors and nurses. Help is on its way, resources are on its way, but most importantly, we're going to listen to you. We have the greatest, greatest doctors and nurses and healthcare workers in the entire world, and I'm there to support them.
0: Uh, that being said, some will ask, "Where's the money coming from? Is this all due to inefficiencies? Are you convinced that you can you can raise all of these funds that are needed to yeah. solve these problems just through inefficiencies?"
2: Well, look at the money they've spent. Uh, we we are close to paying twelve billion dollars a year. That's twelve billion dollars a year in servicing our debt. That's just interest alone. That's twelve billion dollars that go to that could go to a family with. Kids with autism. That's $12 billion that we could find low-income housing. That's $12 billion wasted of the taxpayers' money. They spend $8 billion, $8 billion in 14 years on e-health. And that's still broken. So there's, there's a tremendous amount of money, not mentioning the gas plants, orange. I could sit here all day, Scott, and tell you the billions and billions of dollars are wasted. That's going to come to an end. We're going to make sure... That we're gonna empower the people. This is about the people. It's not about the government. I always believe that people can spend their money a lot wiser than the government.
0: Hmm. Uh, can you get along with teachers' unions? Can you get along with the Sam Hammonds of the world when they come banging at the door and want some and want money around election time?
2: Well, I I've always said Many
0: have said that you're sort of a union buster or that you know Union you,
2: buster. Well, let me tell you. We know forty percent of traditional NDP union voters vote for us. We know 49% of traditional liberal voters vote for us. Then we have some fiscal conservatives. I differentiate between labor and labor leadership. I always support the frontline workers. And the labor leadership, and I could give you endless examples down at the city, when the frontline worker was ignored by their union, but they needed help. Mm-hmm. Who did they, whose office did they walk into? They walked into Doug Ford's office or Rob Ford's office, and we stand up for the frontline workers.
0: Interesting question from a listener, Jack. Uh, What skeletons does Doug Ford have in his closet that someone will accuse him of as the race progresses? Are you worried about them coming
2: after you? let, Let me tell you something about that. There's no family in Canada in the history of politics that has been vetted more than the Fords. They followed us around. They stood outside our house. They stood outside our work. Followed us down to the states. Followed us down when I was on a vacation down to Florida. No one is doug and they even talked to my kindergarten teacher honest to god really? they talked to my kindergarten teacher <laughs> she wow. showed up to an event and they were grilling her so no one has been vetted more than the four did
0: she have something good to say about <laughs> you or was she you know oh yes, yeah yeah
2: she said i passed kindergarten so that was a good thing
0: <laughs> good for you um uh, as we move forward what do you think the biggest challenge is for you
2: Well, the biggest uh, challenge is making sure that we look at the finances and make sure that we keep everything in line and we we, we reduce waste and drive efficiencies. That's always a challenge. When you're going into a budget of $141 billion, uh, you have to make sure you run a lean machine. I'm going to run the province like we run a business. And every single penny is going to be transparent and accountable.
0: Uh, is this a membership game? He who sells or she that sells the most memberships wins. Is that how yes, this is done? That or? is
2: exactly how it's done. Uh, I always have to tell people, people come up to me and say, Doug, I'm going to support you. I'm going to vote for you. And I always tell them, first of all, thank you. But you have to become a member. And, and to become a member, you go to forwardforleader.com. That's forwardforleader.com. And you can sign up there.
0: Have you talked to any of the other candidates, Christine Elliott or uh, Caroline Mulrooney?
2: Uh, I talked to Christine before the uh, before family, she jumped in. Your family, your families, are old friends. Yes, right? and we'll always be friends. I have mm-hmm. a great deal of respect for Christine and her old family and the boys, and uh, we'll always be friends. Uh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, we'll always always be friends. And
0: what about your other opponent, Caroline Mulrooney?
2: Oh, I've never met her before. I think I've I've talked to her. Someone told me I sat beside her in an event. But outside of that, I haven't seen her. I understand she lived in the U.S. for 25 years.
0: What do you want people to know about Doug Ford that they may not know, that they um, may have a, a preconceived idea of who you are? What do you want them to take away from all this?
2: I care for the people. It's all about the people. Our family are civil servants that serve the people. And uh, we'll always serve the people. I'm not in there for a job. I'm, I'm there to do a job. I want to make sure that the people of Ontario are taken care of. I want to make sure that we usher in uh, new, new rules and regulations that are going to make sure we focus on business. And again, we're going to put money back into the taxpayer's pocket.
0: Why, you know, there was chatter of you uh, jumping into the mayor's race. Why did you decide to do this? Why did you decide to, to take this off?
2: Well, I, I saw our province in terrible shape. I saw our party in terrible shape. We need a, a strong leader that's going to unite the party. They're going to do what they say they're going to do. And I'm the only one that can do it. I'm the only one that can win seats in the 416.
0: Uh Mayor's race off the table, that's gone?
2: Well, I, I feel even with the people of the city of Toronto in uh, Hamilton and uh, Ottawa and so on and so forth, uh, all the municipalities are a creature of the province. The province controls the purse strings. And uh, I can help the people right across the province uh, in the premier's chair better than I'd ever be able to help the people uh, sitting as mayor of Toronto.
0: Is the bigger battle for you, Doug, getting the party leadership or beating Kathleen Wynne?
2: I never underestimate, uh, either challenge. I think it's going to be a challenge getting the leadership. I think it's going to be a challenge, uh, beating the liberals. So I never underestimate our competition, but I can tell you one thing. I go from six o'clock in the morning to one o'clock in the morning, every single night. Our team is at the campaign office to one o'clock in the morning, and we're going to continue working hard.
0: Doug Ford has been with us, candidate for the Ontario PC leadership. Doug Ford, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate this. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.